The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 33rd gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 29th of November. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure you look at table C when getting the reaction from the foolish sage while you are gathered at the meeting table. We'll find out a little bit more as to why I threw that in there uh, in just a little bit. It, it ties in later on. You may hear a little bit that I'm still a little nasally. I will be coughing, and for that, I apologize. We didn't uh, do a show last week because I was pretty sick and had a very hard time talking. Got my voice back, thankfully, and uh, like I said, I'm still coughing and a little nasally, but we're going to do this thing because uh, I miss doing the show. And I miss hearing your wonderful voice, Glenn Bittner. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me. Ah, my lovely co-host, Glenn Bittner, uh, the second in command here at the Adventure Party. He is a movie reviewer on the YouTube show, The B-Movie Bunker, and creator of the RPG Mist Runner. How are you holding up, sir? Uh, it's Black Friday weekend, and I work in retail. The fact that I'm alive is a positive. <laughs> you're, uh, you're wrung out, and uh, you're sick of your fellow man. Is yeah. Where I work, as busy as it is, it's actually still pretty good because most people are in a good mood in my store because we sell fun. So it's really hard to be mad in a game store. You can be mad at a game store. Yeah. There are some game stores that are just jerks. You know, they come over, they eat all your food, smoke cigarettes. <laughs> and you know. They don't pay the rent. They don't. No. Ugh, they're freaking terrible. No, I, I understand what you're saying. When I worked at a comic and game shop, you had to really want to be angry uh, while you're on the clock. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's also the the best time of year to introduce people to some really awesome games. Because yeah. the rest of the year, as as much as I get an opportunity to pitch stuff to people, a lot of people coming in are, they're, they're, they're gamers. They're coming in to buy games because we sell games. And they, they generally know what they want or have an idea of what they want. And now I get to deal with a lot more people where it's the, they want to buy that cool thing for someone. Yeah. Or they want that great game to play at Christmas, and I get to be the, I get to be the guy that says, "You would love Mysterium, or you know, Wits and Wagers, or something like that." Depending on what they're what they want. So yeah, yeah, I, you know, that's, and, and that's a feeling that I got too. We did more where I worked. It was more more the comics end, and yeah, it was really fun to introduce people to things that you were really passionate and and interested in. And and being in a game store, I could see that being. 10 times that and being able to recommend something really cool. And that's why we're doing uh, our episode today 
calling it in the spirit of non-competitiveness, we're going to be talking about games that that we've enjoyed playing, board games, whatever, but it's you're not competing against the other people at the table. And I got a chance to play a game that really intrigued me, that really seemed... uh, It was amazing, and I'm really sad that it's not available uh, at my local game shop and uh, or at some of the big. You know, I kind of broke a rule. I I would have gotten it at a big box store if it was available, uh, because I love the game that much and I had to have it. And uh, and we'll talk about that in just a minute as to what it is. Pulled a copy today. Did you? We finally got it back in stock. Ah, I. But yes, it was gone for a long time. I and from what I understood, it was kickstarted to be reprinted and brought back, and now it's I believe so back in full print. I yeah, and that's why I want to strike while the iron's hot and and have a copy of this game because it's just fucking amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yes, I just swore, and by God, it's that good. It's that good. Uh, so we're gonna do our. Uh, regular type of show we're going to do a review we're going to do some news and we're going to talk about our favorite games that are non-competitive so we're going to start off with something from glenn and uh and fantasy flight games which always has something good tell us about this good game well speaking of games that haven't been available for a while mission (laughs) red planet uh, this is actually the second edition of Mission Red Planet. just came out. Uh, actually, we got it in our store about three or four weeks ago. It is uh, Fantasy Flight's the current publisher. The two two of the big designers behind it are uh, Bruno uh, Cathala, which I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but he has done some of my absolute favorite games, such as Abyss, Five Tribes, Shadows Over Camelot, uh, Wicked Witch's Way, and also Bruno Fiduti. This is you got the dual Brunos on this, who brought more of my favorites, like Mystery of the Abbey, um, Citadels, Masquerade at Astra. So you've got some real good pedigree behind as far as the design goes in these games. Um, what the game itself is, Mission Red Planet. I'm going to actually read a little thing. And so this is off of Board Game Geek. With technology rapidly developing and the human population growing. Victorian-era Earth is in dire need of fuel, land, and other natural resources. Fortunately, automated probes sent to Mars have discovered cerulean, an ore that can be combusted to produce 10,000 times more power than a steam engine, and sylvanite, the densest substance ever found. More incredibly, the probes found ice that can be used in terraforming the planet, bringing the idea of colonizing Mars ever closer to becoming a reality. This game is... I, I hadn't played it in probably geez, like nine years or so. Um, so as soon as it came back in print, I had to have a copy because I did not own it. And I busted it open, played it, and it is more fun than I remember. I, I know they they added it so they can have actually more players now. It goes up to six players now. Um, but the way the game plays is awesome. So every player has a deck of cards that uh, everyone's going to play one of these cards each turn, and it's going to be different actions that you can do. You can uh, play a travel agent, which lets you put uh, some of your astronauts onto ships that are waiting to blast off. You can play a saboteur to blow up one of the ships that is waiting to take off. Play a pilot. 
which lets you change the destination of any ship that is flying to Mars because the ships that fly to Mars go to the different areas of Mars and you're actually vying. It has almost a, a little bit of a risk type feel where you're vying for control of these you know, areas. I looked at that and I went, I was thinking risk and, and okay, my suspicions are correct. You, you don't do a lot of actual fighting. There is the soldier card, which lets you take soldiers off of Phobos, uh, the moon and, and kick people off of, uh, off the planet elsewhere. Okay. Uh, there, there's also, you have uh, like special goals that you can, that you can achieve. Um, that everyone gets like their little secret goals um, that you can get extra points for. One of them, one of them happens to be you get extra points for every one of your astronauts who dies. Oh, <laughs> and there's actually there's actually a little memorial where you put all the dead astronauts and they all go in this little memorial so that they're remembered for their sacrifice. Um, but you're going to have different times when you are are vying for control of these different regions, and each region produces one of the resources, either ice, sol uh, solarium, or uh, sylvanite. And that's going to help get you victory points because they're worth points at the end of the game. Um, and there are several production phases, and that's when they actually produce. And each phase produces, the first one produces one resource, the next one is two, and the final one is three. And that's divided. Um, whoever has the most in, a, in, a, in an area gets all the resources. If you're tied for the most, you share the resources. If it can't be shared, like if there's two of us tied and it's, we're in the production phase of one, it just stays there, and it carries over to the next production phase. So there's lots of ways that you can manipulate uh, the board as well as trying to, trying to uh, sometimes hinder your opponent, sometimes hinder them greatly. But a lot of times you have to be careful of what you play because as you play these action cards, they all have a number. So each turn, whoever the first player is, is going to start a countdown. And they're going to count down 9, 10, or 9, 8, 7, 6. And as they do that, as your number comes up, you reveal your card. Now, everyone who plays a uh, soldier is always going to act in the same number. The, all the numbers are the same for every player. But if you're thinking of doing the saboteur and blowing up a ship, well, it won't work if there are no ships left because once a ship is full, it blasts off. So if a bunch of people make the ships before you blast up, before your saboteur can play, he's not going to do anything. Or if you play the, the travel agent where you have to place three of your astronauts on a ship, if there's no ship that can take three, you can't do that action. You've wasted your turn. So there's a lot of you have to pay attention to what everyone else is doing all the time. And the other cool thing is, is that you can pay attention to what your opponents have played because if I play my soldier card, I don't get that card back unless I play, I forget which one it is. It's the highest number one. It's number the recruiter. The recruiter lets you take all of your played cards back into your hand so odds are most games you're only going to play an astronaut card once or twice because there's only 10 rounds total and you have nine different astronauts oh okay or, sorry nine different professionals as they're called so you have to figure out what you need to do so that things work to your best advantage you know it's some i mean some games i've played some people have never used the soldier because you have to have soldiers on Phobos, or you have to have astronauts on Phobos to even use it. So if you don't have them there, it's a pointless card for you. I mean, it sure. lets you kill off lets you kill off one astronaut somewhere on, on the planet, which might be helpful, but generally there's not that much sway. The game itself plays in about, they say 45 to 90 minutes. That's pretty accurate depending on the number of players. If you get up to six, it took us a, just under two hours but that is with five people who had never played before. So 
I'd say, you know, if, if you've played the game before, an hour and a half definitely is is within the realm of possibility for this. It's just, I, I mean, I like I like steampunk and the whole Victorian era. I used to love the the role playing game. Uh, was it Space eighteen ninety nine? Oh yeah. So I I just I like that overall feel of it to begin with, and just it's a fun game because there's so much going on and so many different possibilities of what you can do, because there's also this great thing that there are these other little secret cards that can be played. Uh, these are like discoveries that happen on Mars. So if you play that, if you get one of those, you get to look at this discovery, and it might be like all adjacent territories produce an extra resource. Well, what you do is you put that face down by a territory. Okay. And no one else knows what that is. There's one card that lets you look, but most people, if they look, they're going to they, – most people aren't going to look. They're going to take a different discovery for themselves. So those can really change the game because I had one where it went from at the final round, it was the whoever has, if only one player has the most astronauts in the territory, the person who has the second most gets all the resources. <laughs> so there was someone who bulked up and overtook me in a spot and I knew that discovery was there. So I let him have it. And at the end of the game, it's the all right, getting three, well, actually getting four because this special thing produces an extra resource over here. And then I flipped that over and he's like, wait, I have I have the most. I'm like, yep. And because you have the most, you get nothing. So <laughs> you'll get nothing and like it. You know, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun uh, revisiting this game and, and the fact that some of the, they revised some of the mission and discovery cards. And I believe Phobos is new from the original. It's been a long time. Uh, since I played the original one, but yeah, I it just it's just a very fun game, and it it gets my little steampunk uh, itch scratched for me. <laughs> very cool. And uh, uh, normally I say this while uh, before we uh, do that, but if you watch the YouTube version of this, I actually was flipping through. You could take a look at some of the pieces and some of the gameplay from Board Game Geek. We really love that website. If you're going to check out, if you're interested in finding out about any board game, check out boardgamegeek.com. Can't recommend it enough. Um, and we like to use them as a, a resource and uh, use their images on, on YouTube to, to show people what, what the game's all about. And the game does retail for about $50. Okay. So well within our price range. So nice. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Glenn. Next up here, I found a news story that really caught my attention. And this is more in the, the computer realm, but what if you were able to, especially with Oculus Rift and some of these other products that are coming out, what if you were able to do a remote or a VR D&D &D game to actually be able to play with other people uh, in other, <clears throat> excuse me, in other areas, maybe old friends that you haven't been able to, to see or hang out with in a while. There's a company called Altspace VR, and uh, they have put together a, uh, a small virtual reality, uh, well, they're a small virtual reality company, and uh, they're really interested in getting other people to communicate and play uh, a 3D version of Dungeons and Dragons, or at least the experience of being around the table and playing a game. I'm sorry about that. I 
moved away from my microphone to be able to play uh, the game of Dungeons and Dragons or, or, or other things that they're working on here too. We're going to go through this story here. Um, let's see. It's kind of like a 3d version of Skype. And uh, around this time last year, the company decided to take that a little bit further and they wanted to bring Dungeons and Dragons to virtual reality. And now it has, uh, what started out as a rough idea that spawned out uh, of a 48-hour game jam. Working, I get to work with some really cool people that do development in Python and are, are really, really hooked into to the programming world. And it's really interesting to have to hear them talk about jams and stuff like that, and um, like PyCon and um, some other. Uh, events where they do have jams and, and, and brainstorming sessions like that. <clears throat> so it's cool to, to hear that out of a, a 48 hour jam, they came up with this concept. Uh, it now has the full backing of wizards of the coast. I like this, the nerdtastic company that owns dungeons and dragons and the mega mega popular card game, magic, the gathering. It was me and a couple other engineers who looked at each other and said, D&D, it has to happen, uh, says Bruce Wooden, Altspace VR's head uh, uh, of developer relations. From there, Wooden says the idea caught on quickly with testers unwilling to take off their Oculus DK2 headsets for upwards of five hours. The system was simple back then, but has grown in complexity since. Each player is represented by a virtual avatar and plays in, uh, on a virtual game mat, uh, like in the image up top. In the image up top. Sorry, here. If you are checking out YouTube, you can see this image that they're talking about. So it, eh, you know, the, the, the people that are being represented in here are odd, like, robotic constructs, but they do have... A, you have your game master who looks completely different from everybody else, but there's a rough uh, map that's on this virtual reality table that they've created. Um, it's really fascinating. Let's get back to the story here. Uh, each player is represented uh, by a virtual avatar and plays on the virtual game mat, like in the image up top. One panel is a simple browser so players can quickly re uh, reference web resources while they're playing and a bar above that allows players to access different dice needed to play. So you'll be able to do uh, check out resources uh, like we do for Pathfinder and, of course, now... Ah, crap, I can't find what it is. Ah, uh, Param Spellbook 2 Alpha 0.1. Uh, I use that for uh, one of my magic user characters in Pathfinder, and uh, it's a really great resource. and And that's what they're talking about there. If you want to, if you're a spell user, or if you've got some interesting abilities that you've purchased, uh, I'm sorry, not abilities, feats that you purchased um, that that can work kind of coinciding with other things that 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 you can do, um, you would be able to have a space to reference that. Um, which is absolutely brilliant. 
and then being able to roll dice uh, remotely and everybody can see what those results are. Uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, the Dungeon Master, like in the game itself, has a few more superpowers, <laughs> like playing scene-setting music or moving tiles for different battle scenarios. Uh, of course, Dungeons & Dragons isn't prone to simplicity uh, with its stats upon stats upon stats. Well, it's not that complex, really. Uh, you could almost summarize D&D as fantasy math. Well, that's kind of a bridge too far. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, sec second edition, yes. <laughs> um, Pathfinder, mm, not so much. Uh, from what I understand, fifth edition is not really math intensive at all. Am, am I wrong in that? Not at all. Okay. Okay. So somebody's never played D&D before writing this article. Okay. Uh, but Wooden says the integrated 2D web browsers makes things a little simpler. Meanwhile, option menus for quickly setting up a game board and other windows that easily show die rolls to the whole group, just like I said before, help make the program less confusing and awkward. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, one thing we want to do is create things you can only do in VR and make experiences people are going to want, Wooden says. But the next big challenge will be enabling people to make their own games to basically take this over from us, which kind of sounds a little bit like uh, Roll20.net uh, with some of the things that they're, they've been working on. Uh, Wooden says that the software version is the first step for Altspace VR and Wizards of the Coast, giving, uh, 20, giving the 20V project access to information and monster art to make the app feel more official. But this isn't your dad's DMT. <laughs> Come on. Uh, this app is based... Take offense at that. Um, I'm old enough to be... Well, if I had children, I'd be old enough to be a dad. And it's still, <laughs> still I would do this. <laughs> Back in my day, we had to calculate Thaco and eh, whatever. Um, this app is based off the latest version of Dungeons and Dragons released in 2014. Just 5th edition. It's simple enough. Uh, the app is currently designed to work with the Ocul Oculus Rift DK2. So really the biggest challenge to starting up your next virtual D&D session is making sure your entire party is as big of a VR enthusiast as you are. But with the commercial, commercial version coming sometime in early 2016, it may not be much of a hurdle for long. Of course, D&D could just be the beginning. Soon the world! Uh, other communal VR experiences could include tons of other board games or even card games, since apps like Hearthstone have provided that card games have, I'm sorry, have proved that card games can survive and thrive after going digital. And since Wizards of the Coast does own another hugely popular gaming franchise, <clears throat> Magic, uh, could Magic the Gathering VR be in our near future? Wooden just laughs because he can he's counting the money in his head. That's why he's laughing. Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, and this story was from gizmodo.com. Um, I want to do a little tabulation here. I want to find out some information on how much <laughs> Oculus Rift DK2, 
How much do you think that is? Oh, boy. Um, Take a guess. More than $29.95. Much um, more. I'm thinking like, I don't know, $800. A little low, but close. $899. You can get a new Oculus Rift Developer's Kit DK2. Or the Oculus Rift DK2 is uh, 849 um, Yeah. So uh, you really have to want this or have a lot of cash to burn to do something like this. Now, don't get me wrong. I think VR, we're at the very early stages, obviously, of VR. And I think a lot of cool things could happen. I think that VR... Like everything else, uh, as it's used more and the technology becomes a little bit more widespread, that cost will go down. Um, I mean, I'm, I, all I against, I'm all against it. You're going to get sucked in, and people are going to be throwing deadly frisbees at you, and nothing good comes of this. Nothing good. One Except of my Bruce Boxleider keeps a job for a while longer. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I love the, the arcade game Discs of Tron. I love that game so much. Uh, <clears throat> what does that mean for anything here? Nothing, really. Uh, but no, I, you make a good point. Um, <laughs> a weird point, but a point nonetheless. It's expensive to get into, but if you're really into D&D and you have an Oculus Rift DK2, sure, why not? Um, until that cost goes down or they open it up to other... I'm trying to find other comparable Samsung Gear VR Innovator Edition Virtual Reality for Galaxy... Oh, that's not what we want. Samsung Gear VR Virtual Reality Headset. That's 100 bucks. Uh, Oculus Rift virtual reality headset DK1 is at 650. Uh, yeah. I I I'd give it 10 years before I would jump on board just to see those costs come down and some of that uh I like D&D, don't get me wrong, but not enough to to drop 650 to to $900 to to play virtually. I just no. Mm -mm. It it's a to me this is something that would be fun as a just check it out type experience, but I couldn't see regularly playing like this. <sighs> it, to me, I mean, it, it wouldn't feel the same at all. Even, and maybe this is my you know me being an old man of the I hate change. <laughs> you kids get off my. You know, quite honestly, if you were to wear. A virtual reality headset where you are kind of immersed and as you look from side to side, you could see, you know, I could see this being a great tool for people who want to, you know, it, quite honestly, and I'm going to make this very personal here. If I wanted to play D&D &D with, say, you, Randy, and Alan Odie, who works on an oil rig out <laughs> past Seattle... Um, and we get to see him once in a blue moon, this would be really cool. 
I think it would be a great way for everybody to get together. Of all the people I've listed there, I think Alan's the only one with the expendable income to drop the $900 to actually get the headset uh, to, to actually play. I think it would be cool to be able to turn your head and look around and actually look down at the game board. I mean, I'm going to go back to the screen share here. There's a, a, a screenshot from, from one of the, the VR uh, settings, uh, the tests that they did. And they've got virtual miniatures on a game board. So for you to be able to kind of stand up, look over a virtual game board and be able to check things out with people that you don't get to play with very often, um, that would be really kind of handy. Um, as much as I like Roll D20, um, Roll D20 is is a great option, I think, and, and something that I would definitely use for one planned thing that I wanted to do that uh, once I'm done teaching, I'll be able to actively pursue it. Um, I think that this would be a, a really cool experience to have, but uh, yeah, it's that, that, that gateway cash that you need to, to get on board that I'm really having a hard time to, I, I couldn't part with that kind of money. I just couldn't. Well, and despite the good points you make, I'm going to stay staunch in my steadfast boldness <laughs> and say, man. Yeah, roll D20 is probably as far uh, as you would take that, uh, I'm guessing, which basically uses Google Hangouts for video. So, Although if anyone wants to donate a couple of Oculus Rift uh, DK2 sets to us to prove me wrong, uh, <laughs> I mean... I would, I would accept that challenge. Fair enough. You want, uh, if you want to humble, humble me, by all means, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen, my friend. But um, there you go. VR, D&D. It's, uh, it's happening. Uh, we're going to move on to the Kickstarter spotlight. And last week, uh, we spoke with uh, Chris Tregenza from uh oh god i'm a horrible human being 66 rpg <sighs> sorry about that chris uh almost missed it there um and they oh, and this is just this is so wonderful i'm so happy for him uh, we spoke with chris Tregenza, not last week but the week before and he talked to us about the system that they put together called 66 and they released a new setting called Age of Legends. Um, and the Age of Legends is a kind of a classical Greek overlay or setting, really, uh, to be used with the 66 RPG system. Now, the 60, uh, six, I'm having a hard time saying that. The 6D6 uh, RPG system is a kind of a bare bones role-playing system and structure and you can put whatever you want to on top of it so it's not unlike you know the hero or um gosh uh well the hero system which you know they used for champions they used for uh fantasy you know it, it's a it's a base system that can be used for other things i, I think we kind of compared it to gurps a little bit it was that yeah, that, yeah. So. you'd be able to lay other 
multiple setting types on top of it. And uh, Chris worked with a, a couple of folks who put together this ancient Greek uh, setting. And their, their goal was $1,542. And they are currently at 3,311. So congratulations, Chris. That's, that's wonderful. Um, and, uh, I'm glad I, I backed this and, uh, got to be a part of that. So they're working on some of their stretch goals, which is really cool too. And they're just adding more and more to this whole setup for 66 setting here, the age of legends. And as Chris described it, essentially it's at the point in history where <clears throat> Greek civilization is on the wane and the Roman civilization is starting to get, is starting to go on the rise. They're starting to gain more power and the heroes, or I'm sorry, the gods of Greece look for new champions to help them deal with the, uh, Kronos, uh, the, the, the Titans uh, who are starting to break free and they have these champions which they've bestowed gifts to uh, to accomplish great uh, the, the feats of yore uh, at the height of the of the power of the Greeks. So it's a wonderful kind of stripped down setting uh, that deals with kind of Greek mythology and it sounds like a wonderful wonderful place to play. So it's really great. They've got five days to go as of right now, which is uh, November 29th, and they are more than twice their goal. And uh, I couldn't be happier for, for Chris and the, and the guys there. So that's cool. Now, we have a new Kickstarter spotlight that you can tell us about here, Glenn. Uh, what did you pick this week? I picked... Role player, and that's R O L L player. Um, I picked this for several reasons. One, I think it looks like a cool game. Two, I've already played it because I know the creator who's based right out of Madison. Uh, <laughs> Keith, uh, and I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong, but it's Matechka. Um, he made another game that I love called Bullfrogs. This one, though, it is a game of making a character. Um, you're actually uh, competing to basically make the best character possible. Um, you have different attributes. Obviously, it's like traditional D&D attributes. Your strength, dexterity, uh, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. And you have a character class. And then you're going to be having dice that you're going to be assigning, regular six-sided dice, uh, in three slots for each of these attributes. So you'll have three six-sided dice for strength and etc. Obviously, your scores can range from three to 18. Um, there are special bonuses you get on your card uh, if you put a specific color die in the right slot. Like you might have strength where you have uh, the third slot might have a white uh, like gem marker in it. That means if you place a white die there, you get a bonus. You'll also get bonuses if you hit specific target numbers. For example, if you're a warrior, you get four bonus points if you have a strength of 18. Uh, you do get one bonus point of a wisdom of 14, but, you know, it's, that's not that hard to get. <laughs> Generally, um, the game comes with, you get 73 dice with a game of, of different colors. 
I'm sorry, um, how many? 73, six-sided <laughs> dice. Wow. Yep. Um, you get your character sheets, a dice bag, class cards, backstory cards, alignment cards. There's uh, marker cards, because there's lots of different things you can get. You can get skills, uh, which can modify your character. You can get equipment to modify things. You might get things that uh, make it easier. Uh, for example, like Move Silently is a skill that you can get that instead of purchase from the market, you can purchase cards from the discard pile. Um, or you get skill of knowledge. You can increase or decrease the face value of a dire care sheet by one or two, which can be huge because sometimes uh, you might have a range, like, example, the warrior, again, I'm going to use. You get a bonus for dexterity if it's a 16 or 17. That's it. So if you have an 18 on that stat, you might want to lower it by one so that you can get those bonus points. Um, it's just a really cool concept. You know, it's the fact, I mean, anyone who's ever played a role-playing game has made a character. And Keith has made a game of just that. And <laughs> it actually plays plays pretty darn cool. Um, and this is the first time I'm seeing any artwork for it because I've only seen it in, you know, uh, alpha you know, form before. So he's actually done a lot of cool stuff with it. And there's even, there's like set collecting at times too, like different sets of, you can get different sets of armor that have the more pieces you have of it, the more pieces it's worth. So it's just, oh. it's just a really cool game. And there's, uh, there's a one-player variant as well, which I don't know anything about yet. I've never seen that variant. Um, but for right now, I mean, he's looking for $35,000. Uh, he's currently has $24,785. There's Ooh. still 11 days to go. Okay. Um, and to actually get a copy of the game, um, well, $15 will get you a deluxe print-and-play version, uh, which is pretty cool. You can print-and-play for, you know, deluxe version for 15 bucks. 45 bucks gets you an actual copy of the game, um, and including any stretch goals that they get. And along with, you also get a copy of the deluxe print-and-play with that as well. Um, and that will ship anywhere starting in October of 2016. Okay. Um, he doesn't have a lot of levels above that. You get the... $70, you get the Frog Adventure, where you can get a copy of Bullfrogs along uh, with the Bullfrog Solitaire variant and Role Player. So you can get all of Keith's, Keith's two games and the and expansion for the one for 70 At 225 you can get six copies of it. So that's actually you're saving a little bit of money if you get six, if you have a bunch of friends that all want the same thing. And there's even a few left at the $500 level where you can actually be in the game. So the uh, illustrator, uh, John Ariosa, will create an image in your likeness. <laughs> the, the halfling female, the elf male are the two that are left. The dwarf male and the uh, uh, human female are already gone. Um, he does have some stretch goals. Um, and I lost them. Whew. There we go. Uh, at $37,500, he's going to add another skill card. At $40,000, there will be uh, better better quality character sheets. Um, it's just, it's it looks like a pretty pretty cool game. And I've played the one version of it, you know, at least I haven't played the absolute final version, but I played pretty darn close. I played this again at Gen Con this year. He was in like the play test, play test room. So it's just, I mean, Keith makes fun stuff. Um, and it's just, it's just a fun concept. And I really hope that this gets funded because, like I said, Keith's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, that's really cool. And yeah, if you're if you're worried, the game is EU friendly. 
as in European Union friendly, and will ship within the European Union with no extra customs charges. Nice. Very cool. Oh, and if you want to experience it before pledging, go to the Kickstarter page. Go ahead and download the free print-and-play version and try it out yourself. Oh, so you, nice. This you can actually try before you buy. Huh. That's cool. I don't think... Uh, in, granted, I, I've backed a maybe a handful, say six or eight games. Yeah, I'd say that's fairly accurate. Probably closer to eight. And I don't think I've seen a try before you buy. So that's really kind of... That's really cool. That's very cool. And as you were saying, they're at 2478 and they're looking to get 35,000. Yep. So they're just under 10,000 with 11 days to go. Oh, so close. So close. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, he just started it on the 11th. So he's, he's you know, he's two weeks in. Uh, is that a little over two weeks in? So I'm hoping he gets there. Yeah, I uh, I wish I had. I wish it wasn't nearing Christmas time because, damn it, that looks like fun. And I, really, <laughs> I, I want a copy. Uh, I will be. I will be getting one. I have already backed it. All right. Um, so you know that Glenn is most certainly getting one. I oh, I wish I had the the extra money to get one. Um, well, if, if this gets funded, I am sure it will probably end up in distribution uh, and will end up at stores because his other game, Bullfrogs, also went that way as well. So he's already oh, got he's already dude. got a foot into that uh, to that market. So okay, good. All right, for all of you, all of those of you who don't have some money pledged already to Christmas, or if you're looking to get a Christmas gift, a, a game about creating a character. I find that funny and really cool all at the same time. Yep. Um, no, that sounds really awesome. Uh, I wish I had 45 bucks. Ah, well, um, cool. So yeah, check this out. Uh, it's a Kickstarter. The game is called Role Player, uh, the dice game that builds characters. <laughs> what a great concept. And this is from Thunderworks Games. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for that heads up. And, and we'll we'll be keeping an eye on them uh, while our show, let's see, looking at the calendar, uh, December 6th. So we'll definitely be able to take a look at them one more time before the uh, their Kickstarter wraps up. So we'll see how they're doing next week and see if our, our, our picking of winners has a trend. Um, you know, this is our 33rd episode and uh, each show that we've done where we've, we've done our Kickstarter uh, they've all been successful. So we're going to see if that record holds here. And we really hope that, uh, that Thunderworks uh, makes their goal and makes this happen. So, all right, cool. Thanks for that, Glenn. Um, Keeping with the tr with our theme here of Christmas stuff, <laughs> with Christmas huh. right around the corner, um, if you've got a gamer in your life 
and you want to give them a game that is a little different, is not where it's you against the other people. Like, you know, we were talking about Risk earlier um, when we were talking about the, um, uh, the Mars game. <sighs> what if you were to play a game where, like in my example, I know I teased this earlier. I'm just going to give you the title of the game. It's Tales of the Arabian Nights. And it's by Z-Man Games. And I had an opportunity to play this Thanksgiving night. Um, and it, it was such a... Actually, a previous guest, Ian Benton, uh, came up with his wife uh, from Madison. And uh, he brought a copy of the game with. And it seemed a little imposing because you get this this elaborate game board and it plays up to six players, if I recall correctly. I need to go to Game Board Geek here real quick. And imagine, as you can hear me typing furiously, Imagine playing a game where you set your goals for the game and how you win is based on the goals that you set for yourself. None of the things that you actually do on the board really affect the other players. And the way this is structured, it plays up to six players. It, it, it's structured so that you actually, as the person that rolls... There's a person ahead of you in order and behind you in order. And as you move your character and your, your character movement, I said, roll, that's not accurate. Your character movement is based on your current wealth structure. And as you start out, you get to move three spaces, uh, both by land or by sea. And this, this map that you have is, is a kind of a, a wide area. You start in Baghdad. And you can go all the way to, I believe, uh, France. I didn't get a good look at, at the whole board. We didn't get to play a full game. Uh, it got pretty late, and we had to we had to cut it short, unfortunately. But this wonderful board that you're all of you are are working through, as you move through the board, the game is all about gaining story points and destiny points. The whole game is structured for you to have an experience. As you roll and you land on spots, you determine the encounter that you have at the spot, which is just, it seems a little, a little intimidating when you first do it because there is a, a person, like I said before, who is holding a, uh, what is it? It's, it's just a single folded cardstock thing. And you figure out from what table that you're going to have this experience from. So I, I pulled up a, an encounter card and I got a sage, for example. And when you lay down that card, you figure out some of the math based on the board and, um, is it the, the 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 spot and then the cost of the experience, if I'm recalling that correctly, and that determines what type of mage. So on this particular 
uh, C table. Like I mentioned earlier in the opening of the show, those numbers rolled up to essentially be, uh, what was it? A foolish sage. And then based on that, you get uh, a number that is read out of this huge book and it, you read the experience that you have and you get to roll essentially a fate die. Now we talked about uh, the fate system with Pat Rothfuss as a possible, um, as a possible game structure uh, to, to work in and the fate die is basically a six-sided die with two pluses, two minuses, and two blank spaces. The pluses will actually change your numbers, at least in this game, towards one to the positive. You roll a negative, you get one to the negative. So you, based on that that first sheet I was talking about, that, that folded sheet uh, with the tables, <clears throat> you get a number. If you roll a positive, you add one to that number. It sounds really complex, but once you get a taste of it and, and it becomes really easy. And then you read the experience. And throughout this, you get to develop more skills, more abilities that can help you uh, have better experiences. There are some things as you read it, if you have a particular skill, say, um, uh, what is it? Uh, seduction, or you have luck, or you have storytelling. If you have those abilities, you can alter the outcome within this, uh, within the booklet as, as you read what happens in this particular encounter. It's just a really wonderful game. And like I said, you're in competition with yourself and other people around you are having the same type of experience, but they're in competitions with themselves as well. And to me, that just seemed like a really, that seems like a really fun family game. And yeah, there's some, <laughs> there's some horrible things that can happen in the game. And uh, I think what Rob ended up wounded and um, his, his character could no longer, you know, had negatives to uh, seduction and things like that. <laughs> Just there are weird and horrible things that can happen in the course of the game to your particular character, but you can buy those things off, which kind of equates to like I had, uh, I picked up enslaved. And in order for me to get rid of that, that negative trait that I picked up, um, I had the ability to take a bump up in wealth from, I think from poor to respected and I had to stay at poor to buy myself out of enslaved. So with the enslaved uh, trait that I had on my character, I had to pick somebody randomly at the table to get my goodies. So if the experience, if the encounter I had, I got uh, destiny points. Cause you, you're you, the whole point of this game is you before the game starts, you choose your target story number from 1 to 20. You pick your target destiny number from 1 to 20. And your numbers that you pick total 20 between the two different stats. And that's how you choose that. And that is your goal to hit those numbers at least at minimum. 
And once you hit those numbers or go slightly above them, you head back to Baghdad and then you win the game. But at no point are you in competition with anybody else at the table. And to me, that just seemed like such a great concept and a fun change. I mean, if anybody here is listening has ever played diplomacy or other games where, you know, the whole object is to stab the ever loving crap out of the person next to you to win. uh, It's a welcome change. So, uh, and you know, when you, when you play our, our general rule in our peer group is you can't let Rob win. Um, So uh, (laughs) with this particular game, that rule is off the table because you're not really in competition. So, to me that and and that's why i wanted to 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 play that game the 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 writing for the encounters was really rich and really had the feel of the arabian nights you know it's all about storytelling it's all about raising your status about uh, all these things that you think of in that that the the literature of the Arabian Nights and, and stuff like that. It just the whole feel of it is really cool. And I think I've rambled on about it enough. So we're gonna move on to Glenn and what your pick is for a non-competitive game that you would recommend. This was a hard one for me because I mean every game with me is non-competitive because who can compete with this? Right? <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? And no. and modesty is one of those traits that you have in yes. spades, sir. Um, this is this was actually this was a very hard one for me because there are so many great non-competitive games, and I love non-competitive games. Um, and I was thinking, so do I go with one of the ones I'll pitch the most over the holidays, which is Pandemic, which is a great game, or do I go with one? I noticed that a lot of the ones that I love tend to be cooperative with a, eh, but one of you is an asshole. Like (laughs) Shells Over Camelot, or Dead of Winter, where one of you might be an asshole. Or Betrilla, The House on the Hill, where one of you isn't an asshole yet, and you don't even know if you will be, but you might be. You'll find (laughs) out soon enough. Um, Instead, um, I went kind of a bit along the lines of storytelling kind of like with Tales of the Arabian Nights. And I went with one that while technically you are competing with each other, in my mind, the spirit of the game itself is not competitive. And that would be the adventures of Baron Munchausen. (laughs) Um, I have played this several times uh, and it is a blast because what you are doing is you are telling ridiculous stories. You will basically challenge someone it's like, I would go like, Brad, regale us of the time when you lost your legs in Africa. And then Brad will have to tell some story. Now, yes, you are challenging them. And yes, you can earn points. And there is an overall quote-unquote winner. But that's not the point of it. The point of it is coming up with these amazing stories and being a part of it. Because you can interrupt people and you can ask questions. And yeah. I absolutely love games like that. Um which I would also throw in the same category is Once Upon a Time, where you're playing cards to tell stories. And again, there's an overall winner, but that's not really the point of the game. Yeah, the point of the yeah. game is you are creating stories with your friends. Um, 
And I just, I love that aspect. Now, it does take a specific type of person to play a game like that because some people can't, they don't work well under that kind of pressure. Um, so if I had to pick an actual sit down and play a game, I would probably right now go with Samurai Spirit. Samurai Spirit, I think I, I think I reviewed this one if I'm not mistaken, where you are basically Seven Samurai, the movie. Oh yes, yes. Uh, with a bit of furry action. Yeah. Um, I actually love it. It is hard as whoa as a 13 year old boy looking at a Sears catalog. Oh. Okay. Um, boom. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is it is incredibly difficult, um, and I love that the fact that I have played so many times and we have not yet won the game, and I refuse refuse to play on the easy version. I had to play at least to normal, or it doesn't count. <laughs> so, and it's also made by one of my all time favorite game designers, Anton Bauza, who uh, just he makes. Brilliant games like Kakinoko and Seven Wonders, but he makes some of the hardest freaking cooperative games imaginable: Ghost Stories and Samurai Spirit. So, see, see, I, I, I can't pick one. I am incapable of picking one. I have forty-eight choices, and we will be here till sometime Tuesday with people going through these all. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. Hope you didn't have plans or work like nope. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Samurai Spirit is the one I'm definitely going with here. It's it's one, it plays up to seven people, which is great because sometimes uh I need a game that can handle a lot of people. And while some games will, like Eldritch Horror, it gets bloated with a lot of people and it can take freaking forever. Samurai Spirit, even with seven, you're looking at at most an hour and a half. Um, which is great for a game with that many players. Um, and just, yeah, and the, the challenge that is there just to uh, to do it. And it, it's also a fact that you are very, very often helping other players. You are taking hits for other for other samurai. You are, are using your skills to, to bolster someone else on a specific turn. There are so many things you're doing that, a lot of times in non-competitive games, you don't have a lot of interaction with the other players. You may all be working towards a similar goal, but you're still all a lot of times doing your own little things. And the fact that there's so much, so many ways you can have symmetry with the other players and you can really, really work as a team is what really sells me on this one. And the fact that you can do such a great job working as a team and still fail so miserably that the only thing you can think of is the, uh, we need to play this again because that was horrible. We let the whole village burn down at the end of turn two. That's terrible. Let's play again. And that's the thing I love about it. If, if a game, if I can get my ass handed to me by a game, whether it's non-competitive or competitive, and all I can think about is playing that game again, that is an awesome game. Because losing, if you can make losing a not bad experience, that is brilliant. So, yeah, that's what I got. Samurai Spirit and those those other fifteen I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's very cool. So, uh, our recommendations are Tales from the Arabian Nights, and 
that retails for about 45 to 50 dollars ish um thereabouts if you're lucky yeah well yeah if you get if you get it online you can get it for that yeah okay um samurai spirits uh samurai spirit i think is about 27 okay maybe something like that yep okay 32 um you know one of the games that i would recommend would also be pandemic because everybody needs to work together yes um and pandemic runs about 42 50 eh, 40 no. 40 to 45 if you're paying 50 you're paying too much for you're pandemic. paying too much too much for it um pandemic is fun because you're looking at you work for the cdc essentially and there are different diseases in the world that are breaking out and if an area gets too many infected people in it it starts to expand to the neighboring areas so your job is to coordinate with all the rest of the people at the table to if an area kind of explodes into an epidemic levels where it's starting to bleed out to all these other because as as the disease expands in one area it starts branching out to an other areas around it and it can it can get out of control really quickly <coughs> excuse me and being able to coordinate with the other people at the table uh, is is crucial to winning the game. And part of the ways you win the game are, you know, maybe taking one for the team and spending a, a turn researching a disease and finding a cure to it and then eradicating it from the board. Um, again, traveling to different areas and treating diseases to stem the tide i can't remember what the what the point is where it it starts to if there are five four markers, four markers on oh, a no, no, no. oh sorry three if there's if there's more if there's more than three of any one color okay. you have an outbreak okay yep and once you get to outbreak level it starts branching out to all the cities around it um yeah. it gets it gets ugly and, and if you are com trying to be competitive with the other people at the table. You're going to screw yourself and everybody else at the table. So you working together is absolutely critical. It is a fun game to play. Uh, it sounds, it sounds boring, but it's not because you really need to, you need to plan and, and kind of strategize and look at the board and see who's, who's where and, and who can get to an area the quickest to deal with the, with an outbreak. So, uh, yeah, pandemic is is a fun game. Um, I would give that not as fun as Tales of the Arabian Nights. I'm totally like awestruck by this game right now. Uh, I, I need to own a copy of it. Um, pandemic is definitely a fun game for. I'm trying to think, that's uh, four or five people. Four people. No. Four. Four in the base game. Okay, and then there's. Uh, oh wow. 
there are a lot of expansions. There are a lot of expansions. There's on the uh, brink. On the brink is great because it takes it from the hey, we're all working together to hey, you're all working together. Except me. I'm a bioterrorist who acts as another disease oh. and fights against you. <laughs> okay, so there we've hit competitiveness. Uh, yes. There's Pandemic in the Lab, Pandemic the Cure, Pandemic Contagion, Pandemic State of Emergency. And Ooh. some of those are, are – Pandemic the Cure is a standalone. Okay. But, yeah, there's a lot of Pandemic stuff. Um. Yeah, there's – by Matt Laycock – who uh, made a game we did on our Kickstarter Spotlight a while ago, uh, Thunderbirds. Oh, that's right. Which I just bought. Nice. <laughs> I had to crack it open and play it, but... Oh, and uh, Pandemic uh, publisher Z-Man Games, who publishes uh, Tales from the Arabian Nights. Nice. And what that means is, buy it while you can, because... There's often some distribution problems with with Z-Man games. I, you know, I, it, somebody had mentioned that it had been released and then it kind of disappeared, um, and now it's back out again. So yeah, uh, strike while well, that iron's hot right now. Um, can't recommend that game enough. Um, so yeah, I've kind of one of the things that I'm really kind of grateful for. Uh, in doing the show, uh, Glenn, with you is uh, reviewing games, and I'm going to have a closet filled with games uh, within the next year or two. Um, and uh, I'm going to have to buy a bigger I don't house. Know if there's a big enough closet. <laughs> I am. I am scared. I've been. I've been saving my receipts for the whole year. Oh, sure. Because there's a percentage of the games that I can actually write off on my taxes as I found out. Okay. Um, ones that I'm at, ones that I actually buy. So that I, I, I buy games sometimes to see if that's something we want to carry in the store. Sure. Um, so that is an actual business expense. I, I don't write up my minis because I'm like, that's, that's, that's simply a me thing. So, but I've been saving every receipt and I don't want to know uh, how far over the decimal point is on that one. Because it's been a very uh, bad year for my wallet. <laughs> very bad. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. But hey, <laughs> I need to take them with them when I die, right? <laughs> right? I get, I get ghost um, copies of all my games, right? If you're lucky. If you're lucky, sir. All right. So, uh, yep, Tales from the Arabian Nights, Pandemic, Samurai Spirit, and your other game that you mentioned? Uh, Adventure of the Baron Munchausen and Once Upon a Time. I don't know. I've mentioned so many. I don't show <laughs> up. Uh, I'm just making some notes here uh, so we make sure that we... Uh, put this in our show notes. Uh, there we go, which makes for great podcast listening. Um, or uh, uh, type itty type type type. All right, we are done with our discussion now. <laughs> if I recall from memory, there we go. 
Uh, all right. So Christmas is coming. We gave you some recommendations for some fun, non-competitive type games that you can play uh, that everybody, I think of the, of the games that we've mentioned, you're going to find something that's up somebody's alley. Um, it sounds like a euphemism. It is not. Um, you're going to find something that everybody is going to be able to enjoy. Uh, Baron Munchausen, and for our uh, over 21 listeners, Baron Munchausen does have a game mechanic for if you are successful. Um, what is it? There's alcohol is involved as a part of some of the more advanced rules. Oh, and you can do the, if, if someone catches you off guard, you came up with a story, you can be like, oh, sorry, my, my throat's a bit dry. I, I need to need to quench my thirst. Yes, and that buys you time. Uh, that buys you some time to to figure out your way around stuff because people can call you on. But you know, but Baron, how did you? Uh, you know, black rhinos are not found in that particular area of the world. How did you shoot one there? And and you get to learn the fact that Patrick Rothfuss was raised by marmosets. <laughs> Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this, we have had Patrick on the show, um, and we've known Pat for a while. If you want to, and quite obviously, he is a storyteller, you do not play Baron Munchausen with, with the intent to try to win with Pat Rothfuss. You play to listen to him come up with stories. That is the fun of playing Baron Munchausen with Pat Rothfuss. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 it, it's definitely a game that you need to play with creative people who uh, don't mind being a little theatrical around other people who don't get self-conscious about stuff like that. And you can have a very, very good time playing Baron Munchausen. And it's not a board game. It is actually, a, it's like a booklet that gives you general rules on how gameplay works. And then it is just everybody sitting around talking, telling stories. Um, it is a very unusual game. Everything else we mentioned here is a board game, but Baron Munchausen is not. It is a game that is a small booklet, rough outline of how things work, and you tell stories. And you will have an amazing time uh, if you if you are the type of person who is interested and enjoys things like that, Baron Munchausen can be a lot of fun. So it also helps if you can do a, a rather exaggerated <laughs> British type <laughs> explorer accent. Yes. Which is why I never, you know, never say, but Brad, surely you must have been killed. <laughs> Cause if he had been, he wouldn't be here telling the story. Now would he? <laughs> Yes. Uh, being able to raise objections and try to, 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 to trip people up in their story to get them to, to break and, and not be able to figure out what to say next is, is how you shut them down. So, um, yeah, that's, that's like the worst thing that you can do as well. You must have died. Um, that, that's a throwaway question. You don't do that. <laughs> On that note. I play that so bad now. I, I see when I we, Glenn, when we have Freaksmas 
uh, this year. We will have to make a point to actually play. Uh, for those of, course, of you, yeah, I don't need the rule book to play it. I know how to play it. Well, for the and Glenn and I have known each other for a very long time. Uh, the group of friends that we our our peer group uh, have have dubbed themselves the freaks, which is why I said that. And they created a tradition long ago uh, in college. Uh, to have a special holiday before everybody left to go back home for Christmas break. And they called that Freaksmas. And it is a tradition that has carried on well past college because <laughs> we are well beyond college age now. Several, uh, several of us have children going to college. Oh <laughs> God, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Um, I, I got, I got a Facebook requ request uh, yesterday from a, young girl uh like you know early 20s and i first saw it and i'm like i have no idea who this person this has got to be one of those you know just uh fake yeah. accounts yep. because it was it was a brand new facebook account um and i go i don't know apparently we have we have like four mutual friends i'm like did, did my friends get suckered is i go and look and i'm like look oh my god that's my friend's daughter Oh yeah. She got married uh after being in an abusive relationship, so she made a had deleted her old Facebook account and made a new one under her her new name, which is why I didn't recognize her at first. And that I haven't seen her since she was like twelve, but I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's oh, not wow. right. You have ah, but then again, I, I'm a great uncle, so I I I've been old for a while. <laughs> at least a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. All right. Enough babbling about our personal lives and, and shenanigans that we get up to. Um, we're going to talk about some shenanigans that you can join us in. Uh, that is Hello, My Name Is, and it's your opportunity to tell us about your favorite character that you have or are currently playing. You can go to galacticnetcast.com and click on the Adventure Party podcast page, and there is a link there that's uh, the graphic that says, Hello, my name is. And if you click that, fill out a short form. Tell us a little bit about your character that you enjoyed uh, playing uh, in whatever, uh, if it's a... Um, you know, a, a D6 RPG game, if it's a Mist Runner, if it's D&D, doesn't matter the system. Tell us a, a little bit about you, your character, and why that character was so awesome, and include your email address, and uh, I'm a little behind on getting out uh, some, some prizes and thank yous to folks. Um, my computer is mostly re-rebuilt. Um, and uh, should get those uh, that software on my computer hopefully soon uh, to get those certificates out to folks. And um, <clears throat> as a thank you, we email back. And yes, we do ask for email address. No, we don't spam people. That's horseshit. I don't believe in spamming people. I don't sell anybody's name to anything. Uh, I hate it when people do it to me, and I would gladly unfriend them if I knew that they intentionally had done that to me. So no. Um, any that information is used only to email back a thank you present, which is a uh, a certificate of participation um, for being a part of Hello, my name is, and that's the only reason why we ask for it. And uh, 
so yeah, check us out there. Uh, you can find us uh, at galacticnetcasts.com or we've shortened it up. You can go to gncasts.com and find us there. You can find all of our social media outlets. Uh, we do the show live on YouTube and uh, you can check out all of our video versions of the Adventure Party show. And uh, if you're using iTunes or Stitcher, because we do an audio... Oh, I'm way behind. Oh, my God. I, blowing up my computer and becoming a teacher at NTC was the worst thing I could have done for this show. <laughs> ah, thankfully, my teaching gig is, uh, is up here uh, in just a couple of weeks, and I can focus on getting the audio versions of the show back up. But we are on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you can take a moment to uh, give us a review and tell us what you think. Uh, do you like what you hear? Would you like to hear something a little bit more that we should be covering, maybe a little bit less? Uh, your review, positive or negative, can better help shape the show into uh, something a little bit better. I'm not going to say that our show is awesome. Uh, it doesn't suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but your feedback can help make it uh, a little bit better and uh, we can make tweaks. Uh, I've said it before. We do do the show live on YouTube. So when we talk about game reviews or other things, we do add the video component where you can actually see the game. Uh, we use boardgamegeek.com, which uh, has a lot of pictures from people who own the games. And uh, so you do get to see what the pieces are like. If you're interested in a game that we've reviewed, check out the YouTube version of the show and you can actually kind of see it before you actually buy it uh, if you are so inclined. Uh, you can leave us feedback by emailing... Uh, hey, you can leave us feedback by emailing galacticnetcasts at gmail.com or you can call or text the number 805 328-3966 again 805-328-3966 and uh, let us know what you're thinking um, let us know about a game that maybe you think we should check out or review or uh, if you think we said something that's pure and utter crap uh, call us on it that's fine um, we don't uh, we don't have all the knowledge in the universe and uh, you know if we're wrong on something uh, let us know uh, we won't take offense. <laughs> so uh, I want to thank you, Glenn, for uh, joining us and uh, giving us some some great picks for non-competitive board games. Um, where can people find out more about you or Mist Runner? You can find out more about me on Facebook. You can either just follow me, or you can go to Naked Hobo Productions or the BB Bunker or Mist Runner the RPG. Best way, though, just find me on Twitter at Naked Homo. <laughs> I'm like a 10 year old. He he he, naked. He he. That's funny. All right, enough of that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us at the adventure party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com. That's g n c a s t s.com.